Hello and welcome to WexCast, the podcast series that delves into the multidisciplinary work of the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University. I'm Melissa Starker, PR and Content Manager for the Wex. In the early days of portrait photography, photographers would use a variety of tools to keep people still for the long exposure times required to make a picture. When the subject was a child, mothers were often tasked with holding their young ones to keep them from fidgeting. But they were also supposed to stay out of the shot, so the mothers were hidden by lengths of dark fabric or by other means. Nevertheless, an odd glimpse of face, arm, torso, or skirt would frequently make its way into the final image. Laura Larson, an artist, photographer, and writer, became fascinated with these antique images and started a small collection of them several years ago. Around the same time, Laura received her first picture of an Ethiopian infant girl who would become her adopted daughter. Both experiences inform her new book, Hidden Mother. For this episode of WexCast, we'll share Laura's recent artist talk at the Wex in connection with the release of the book, in which she draws out the parallels between the experiences of those partially obscured mothers in antique photographs and of women raising children today. But first, an introduction by Wex Film Video Studio Director Jennifer Lang on Laura's history of working with the Center. Let's listen. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Jennifer Lang, curator of the Film Video Studio program here at the WEX. Thanks for coming out for today's artist talk and book launch by photographer, filmmaker, and writer Laura Larson. Laura's history with the WEX goes all the way back to 2007, um, or at least with me it does, <laughs> when she wrote a, re a review of an exhibition I organized of Sadie Benning's paintings and drawings, uh, paintings and videos, sorry. She approached me shortly after to apply to the Wexner's Film Video Studio program, residency program seeking support for the video component of a proposed multimedia project. The Film Video Studio, for those of you who don't know, but it seems like most of you probably do, um, offers in-kind production and post-production services, facilities, and equipment to internationally recognized directors and artists working in film video. Over the next two years, Laura came to Columbus from Athens, where she lives and works, um, to work in residence, editing and finishing the video Electric Girls and the Invisible World which she finished in 2000 and, yeah, 2008. It's a video that connects the story of a group of teenage girls who possess supernatural abilities with that of 19th century medium Eusapia Palladino. She returned to the studio in 2014 to work on a second video, Channeling, in which she performs the role of a clairvoyant. I bring these two videos and our history together up, not only because she'll be talking about and showing clips from her video works today, but also because the first of these two projects, Electric Girls, uh, took place at the very beginning of the long journey that led Laura to create the book she's presenting here today, Hidden Mother. Like much of Laura's work, Hidden Mother weaves together history and personal narrative, touching on the process and materiality of photography as well. It's the kind of book that invites multiple readings. I've read it now four or five times myself and gotten something new each time, as a mother, a daughter, a curator, and a friend. And I'm really excited for Laura to be bringing the stories in this book to life with her reading today. Uh, following the talk, Laura will be selling and signing books in the Wexner Center store, and hopefully some of you have already had a chance to see the examples of, actual examples of hidden mother photographs that are in, located in the lobby at the bottom of the staircase. Uh, they will be on view uh, through the end of the day on Sunday, so I'd encourage you to have another look after today's talk. Uh, thanks to my colleagues here at the Wexner Center, Allison Binger, Nick Stahl, Mike Sullivan, and especially my partner in crime, Alana Ryder, for making this event and the display of photographs outside possible. Uh, and now, get things started, Laura Larson.
So Hidden Mother, there's actually two components to it. Um, there's the book, and um, I curated an exhibition of this material, which was traveling um, for a few years. It, um, I presented it at the Blue Sky Gallery in Portland, at the Palmer Museum of Art at Penn State, and at the Allen Memorial Art Museum in, at Oberlin. Um, so that exhibition really emerged from when I was doing the research for the book, and um, I realized there hadn't been sort of a presentation of this material um, in the world, so I sort of kind of took that opportunity. So for me it was, somehow I managed to sort of take on writing a book and curating an exhibition, which were two things that I'd never done before. Um, so. I think the only thing in terms of an introduction that I'll, that I'll t say is that um, the book is really, it has these kind of short chapter, um, it's short chapters, it's very much um, looks to Roland Barthes' Camera Lucida in terms of form, but also there's a sort of thread of content that is sort of taken up in the book as well. But the sort of, the time frame of it really focuses on when I received my first photograph of my daughter, um, and my daughter is Ethiopian American, um, and the sort of interval between when I got that first photograph and when I brought her home. So, and, okay. In 19th century portrait studios, photographers employed a number of different strategies to stabilize the body during the long exposures of the camera. Sitters leaned on pedestals to steady themselves. Necks were held in a pincer-like brace. A pair or a group would might ballast one another, leaning together, an arm thrown over a shoulder, as if being photographed was like taking a boat ride on choppy water. To sit for a portrait was to submit to physical discomfort. The photographer, too, must tense and harness their body to execute the tasks of production. Head cloaked with black fabric to block the light, he, it is almost always a he, leans over the bulky view camera and squints, pressing his eye to the loop and the loop to the glass to focus the image. Muscles strain and ache as if in empathy with the subject. To make a photograph is to see with the whole body. Photographing children presented the operator with a specific set of challenges. Pedestals and braces can't be used on the small, unruly bodies of infants. The photographer enlists the mother to play an instrumental role. Her body props the infant, steadying and comforting while the film is exposed. Hold still. The hidden mother appears in many forms, playing a structural but visually peripheral role in these portraits. Often she's swathed in fabric, her concealed lap acting as a pedestal for her infant. Her form becomes indistinguishable from the appointment of the scene. She is armature, background. These images remind me of dressing up as a ghost when I was a kid, throwing a sheet over my head and running around, arms outstretched, moaning. Sometimes the mother inhabits the margins of the frame, the fact of her body several feet away providing enough reassurance to allow the child to sit quietly. Her arm reaches into the frame, or her body can be seen crouching behind a chair or pram. She whispers to her child, Mama's here.
When the portrait staging is insufficient to the task, the photographer turns to other techniques to isolate the child on the finished plate. A mat placed over the plate vignettes the image, centering the baby and occluding the mother. Sometimes the measures are more drastic. If she can't be concealed, her face is scratched away, revealing the black enameled surface of the tintype. Alternatively, a thin layer of black paint is used to mask her presence. The implicit violence of these practical strategies raises the question, why not photograph mother and child together? I'm taking liberties. I want to bulge and erupt, to bleed into the frame. And I quote Bart here from Camera Lucida. And here the essential question first appeared. Did I recognize her? My first photograph of Goddessay is nothing more than a mugshot. It's purpose to duly record her entry into institutional care. The harsh light of the flash marks her, ofi her official identity as an orphan. Certain facts stated. She doesn't look into the camera. Under my gaze, the photograph shrugs off these moorings. I think I detect a little smile on her stunned face. It's the only picture I have, and I'm greedy for more. She is touched by light. She is luminous. Goddesse's arms are painfully thin, and a white onesie hangs loosely from her body. Her eyes are huge and alert. The director of the adoption agency reports that she is very small for her age. It's impossible for me to tell from the photograph. The lessons I have taught my students about context and meaning loom up. I can see her, but she floats. I station the image on my computer's desktop and my cell phone. I make multiple prints of it, as if willing her into physical presence. The tiny digital file yields a smear of pixels at four by six inches. She is even lighter than paper, her skin the surface of the print. I would wait seven months before bringing Goddesse home, and this time would be measured in photographs, a stream of them that formed a virtual umbilical cord between us. They instructed me, she's growing, she is healthy, but my desire animated them, seizing and elaborating upon the details of her. They reassured me of her presence in the world and reminded me of our separation. Like a hidden mother, I was bound to and separated from my daughter. <coughs> I try writing to her, a short note every few days, to bring her closer. I write that I love her, and I can hardly wait to bring her home. After several notes, my disposition toward her becomes confused. I address her as the child I will bring home, then as an adult, a young woman I've raised. She keeps appearing to me as a teenager. In this rehearsal of attachment, I'm already anticipating other future stages of separation. Her body moves away from mine. Will she return? and I'm quoting Bart again. A sort of umbilical cord links the body of the photographed thing to my gaze. 
Light, though impalpable, is here a carnal medium, a skin I share with anyone who has been photographed. I love the implication that photography's appetite is indiscriminate, that it is an omnivorous medium, and the way Bart links the carnal to the mother's body. Desire doesn't choose, it lands. And although he writes these passages in mourning, I recognize my own longings in them, dispersed and reconfigured. Goddess's body tugs at mine through this phantom cord. I have no use for the metaphor of gestation with its orderly rationing of time. It can't account for the currents of my weight that pitch me back and forth. I have no memories yet, yet the photographs make me feel as if I do, and they wobble under the weight of my fantasies. Other women, other mothers, possess intimate knowledge of my daughter. Early portrait studios, equipped with skylights, depended on sunny skies to bathe sitters in light, a flood required to coax an image from recalcitrant emulsions. I imagine the day Goddessay was born, the sun warming her skin, its rays eventually finding mine, our skies touching. I speak of her family, but I am thinking of her biological mother. The detachment of this term troubles me. Its clinical accuracy exacts another disavowal. I want to give her a name that doesn't reduce her to her reproductive function. She's even more elusive than the child to whom I write, a shimmering that never coalesces into an image. Even a hidden mother is accorded a veil, her concealment a tacit acknowledgment of her power. The claims of the women who gave birth to Goddessay terrify me. I tentatively rehearse the authority of my own claim. I am her mother, not hidden, legible. Because I am white, it's a sentence I will have to declare over and over again. That's the public, and here's what I reserve. The fact of our difference, that our bodies do not match, will be a reminder of future separations. Um, so about two months went by between when I got my first photograph of her and when I got the next photographs of her. And in that interval, she was um, diagnosed with tuberculosis and she was, she was treated. Um, but as you can imagine, this was you know, a pretty hellish time in my life to sort of know this was going on and to being that far away from her. In August, I received this report with photographs from a mother who's recently returned from Addis Ababa. Goddessay, oh my word, what a sweetheart. She kept doing the funniest scrunchy smile. I was cracking up. When I was going through pics, my sister saw her and said, her mama's just gonna fall in love with her. I can guarantee that, she's stunning. The images show her plump and boisterous, flirting with the woman who's taking her picture. I can see her new baby teeth through her big smile. She's got a little pot belly and her arms are filling out. She makes the scrunchy smile, a skeptical and playful look, an expression I recognize as one of my own. She's changed dramatically in two months and she doesn't look sick. I sob with relief and happiness. Dismantle birth and make something new. In its beginnings, love is an act of invention, a leap bridging the distance between two people. 
Adoption reinscribes the notion of kin because it takes that distance as a given, a space filled with potential because it has been traversed. Every mother meets her child for the first time. We will see and hold one another and part and stare. Our differences aren't a fault line, but a seam slowly stitched together. My impulse to intellectualize, to distance, skirts the heat of my longing. If I claim, our if I claim ours as a story of invention, I cast Goddessae as Athena, emerging fully rendered from my head, a triumph of mind over body. Who am I kidding here? I fantasize her body in my arms and feel her frame press into me. I can't breathe. Racking sobs, mucus caught in my throat. No blood, no viscera. My body cleaved all the same. It took an ax to free Athena from Zeus's skulls. Her birth rendered an act of violent creation. But it was her hidden mother, Metis, who forged her helmet and shield. Jumping ahead, seven months later, I've traveled to Addis, and um, this, um, what I'm about to read from is actually when I took her from the transition house that she was living in, and we walked to the hotel where, I was, where we were going to stay. Her hair has been gathered into puffs, and she's nibbling on a teething biscuit. I photograph her with the nanny. I want to document this woman, one of many, who has also loved her. The camera makes her shy, and she cuddles into her nanny's arms. Then I take her into my arms and awkwardly struggle to get her into the baby carrier. We walk from the room, through the courtyard, and out the door into the street. I'm nervous. I've been briefed that Ethiopians are sensitive on the subject of Western adoption, and the agency advises families to not appear in public with their children. I've been assured that the short walk back to Ritmo, is the hotel, is safe. Her crying stops the moment we leave the compound. She looks at everything. The details swell. A woman selling, a woman selling potatoes piled in a mound on a blanket spread on the dirt road. School children in their rumpled uniforms orbiting and brushing by, pretending not to look. A man begging. He draws close letting his hand hover inches above her head, nodding, conferring a blessing. More children, their aggression unfiltered, asking for candy and money. We arrive at the gates of Ritmo and greet the security guard, Salam, a passage completed. I take her into my room to change her clothes, as if dressing her in the clothes I've brought will ease the transition. I discover the beauty mark on her chest. The first night, she wakes at three o'clock The first night she wakes at three o'clock and I take her out of her crib. She climbs on top of my body and falls back asleep. I'm astonished by the blind force of her need. I can't move her without her sobbing. Her fingers reach for me. They have a life of their own and there's no gentleness in her touches. She twists the skin on my neck and kneads my breasts. Her fingers claw at my lips and reach into my mouth, scraping my palate. I keep waking, panicked, convinced that I'm suffocating. Skin to skin, call me mama. Goddessay is not shy in front of the camera anymore, but its slow shudder can't keep up with her velocity. 
I struggle to reconcile the demands of mothering her with my impulse to document. I stand apart, considering the light, sweet-talking my subject, and framing the scene. The distance between us shrinks and swells. I have very few pictures of us together, except for the portraits we make with my laptop. In her early days home, this was the only way I could photograph her, us, with the screen acting as a mirror. Sitting in my lap, she would stare in wonder at our faces, then turn toward me, my arms around her, the moment of perfect quietness. Someday I will tell God to say this secret. When we first met, I hesitated to pick her up, pausing at the threshold when we became real. I was ready to emerge, to become her mother, and I was terrified. That moment contained many endings and forecasts the looping of our future. Maybe she would be happier here. Our life together is filled with joy, but the little losses prick and wound every day. When I leave her at school, when she runs towards her friends, when she strays just out of my sight, when I watch her sleep, when I forget about her, and when I remember again. I dread the prospect of letting Godessay go into the world, but she's already there. Thank you. Questions? Yes? Um, to my daughter? Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, if, um, a lot of these photographs, um, let's see if I can find, tintypes um, were the first inexpensive and sort of easy way to make photographs. So um, it was kind of the first time it was affordable for people to have photographs, like not just of their whole family. So it, was, it became, you know, like sort of possible to do it. And I... It was, yeah, so it was just a way to have a photograph of your kids. So um, I don't think that this was some, you know, kind of conspiracy <laughs> to sort of, you know, like cross mom's faces out. But, you know, you see it over and over and over again, and you start to say, huh, that's, you know, interesting. You know, why not? Like, why, why, why was this a strategy that these people use? But I think... It reflects more a kind of catching up with, um, you know, what the technology can do and its limitations. So, yes. Yeah. And why doesn't that extend to the written 
Right. No, it's a good question. And um, I think, well, I'm trying to sort of separate like the personal and the. Um, when I first saw these photographs, and again, like it was right when I was beginning the adoption process, my my sort of emotional reaction to them was like really overwhelming and in some ways like it sort of took writing this book for me to sort of sort it out. Although I did sort of recognize, I was like, that's what it means to be a mother, like pretty quickly, right? That you're sort of there and you're not there. And I got it. And so, you know, like the critical brain was like, okay, <laughs> you know, like sort of sorting it out. But as I was writing the book and, you know, I, I wrote an essay about, her or the idea of becoming a mother before she came home. And I wrote the book when she was four and this was sort of culled from things that I'd been writing when she was a baby. Um, and I, you know, I, I had to be very clear in thinking about what was my story and what was, I mean, the, the best way I can put it is like, I want her to tell her own story, right? So on, on some level, I didn't feel like I, I could show those pictures, right? Like because they are, they are deeply, deeply revealing about her sort of her time there and the sort of implications of becoming orphaned in in a third world country. And I was very careful about you know it's my story, but you know clearly it's our story as well. But I wanted to sort of be very um, clear about like what didn't like what belonged to her and what didn't belong in the story. And I guess the photographs just kind of gave me a way to figure out to figure out that kind of relationship and the ways in which it was sort of speculative for me in that in that time. So there's a lot a lot of the book is, and that photograph of us is the only photograph of us in it, so it's like only hidden mother photographs. Um, but, you know, for me, the way I sort of sequenced the photographs with the text, um, you know, there were ways in which I was trying to work sort of evocatively with them. There were ways in which they became sort of surrogates for um, certain kinds of, some of the emotional content. Um, I mean, not so much with the ones I showed. There's there's more in the book. I know it's like it seems like oh, it's so heavy, but like there are actually some really funny ones, <laughs> and you know like they're sort of in there to kind of you know to provide a little levity, um, in a you know in a, in a story which is you know very intense and and frequently about loss. Um, so, but this other thing too, Roger, is that um, there's a lot of description, like this sort of idea of the written, the written word, like being a kind of stand-in for these photographs. The other thing is, um, is that in Camera Lucida, which is also a sort of a, a book that is about, um, it's about, well, it's about Bart's loss of his mother, but he talks about trying to find the, this photograph that like is her, like where he recognizes her. Um, and he eventually finds it, and it's a photograph of her when she's five years old, but he doesn't put it in the book. And he says, like, it's not, it's not for you, it's only for me. And so that was another kind of 
homage to that book, but also like on some level to like a kind of ethics of, you know, telling, telling our story. So, yeah. Oh, hi, Chris. <laughs> Right. But also, in that Roger's question provokes the same thing that Cameron Cita does is this intense desire on the part of the reader or the listener here to see those images, to see through your eyes. It seems like it's always about withholding, if only to create that same desire of searching and openness to be touched. And there's a way that those photographs, like, they were intensely satisfying and they also were like intensely like disruptive and disturbing and you know like I was always really happy to get photographs but I was always like kind of afterwards very like almost sort of more distraught in a way so yes um, so uh, I really love being able to put this in the context of I wanted to return to something you said about um, the beginning of your career um, and in domestic interiors that you were motivated by the question, what would a feminist practice look like without a female body? And um, you know that question is obviously in all the um, all the projects that you've shown us, and then in this really remarkable way here. Uh, and you know we haven't talked about this. I mean, I, I, it's funny because, and maybe I'll kind of go back to, you know, someone like, some of this is just about me being like, you know, acting like an adolescent myself, you know, in relationship to, wait, let me find here, we'll just do a Carolee Sheeman, right? It's like, it's a little bit like, oh, like, you know, like, when I was a college student, I'm like, oh, so embarrassing what these feminists were doing, right? And like, I knew well enough that I that they were like, I had to honor them, right? Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here if like it weren't for like Carolee Schneeman pulling interior scroll out of her vagina, right? But 
it was a little bit like I had to kind of react a little bit. And so, I mean, if that was the initial impulse, it really did become a kind of question about not like let's get rid of the bodies, but like how are we still going to think about what are happening to women's bodies even if we're not seeing them? And that's, um, and I think that became more explicit when I made the hotel photographs because it's like, you know, it's like room after room after room, it's like somebody has to clean it. And you know, that was a project I worked on two years and like I felt like I really gained a lot of intimate knowledge about like what it means to clean hotel rooms and who it is who cleans hotel rooms and like all of the implications of that. And it's funny, I've been thinking about those photographs a lot with Trump too, where I was just like, yeah, I wonder who's cleaning the hotel rooms at Trump hotels, right? So, I mean, I think if, like, maybe, maybe it's better to think of it, it's not like banishing, but it's sort of like working strategically, right? Like where you're not, um, it's not like silencing, but rather, you know, it's kind of like working with implication and sort of shifting the terms around. And I think, you know, and one of the things I have been thinking about a lot for Hidden Mother and the ways in which I kind of want to bring it into the world now is, you know, and there's, there's a great deal about this sort of a kind of reckoning that I had with what it meant to be like a middle-class white American woman adopting a black child in, you know, Ethiopia, right? And like what that meant. And, you know, I think if anything, I am thinking about this book as hopefully contributing to a dialogue, which is like what, you know, who are these hidden mothers who don't have access to healthcare, who don't have access to contraceptive, who, you know, who routinely die because of these things. And, you know, clearly this is a sort of different set of issues in the States than it is in Africa, and, but yet, I guess I'm, I want to think about what, what links those experiences, so. Yes? What are some of your future projects that you're thinking about um, doing? Um, I'm working on a project about um, Jean-Martin Chocot's photographs of female hysterics, and I'm collaborating with a novelist. Her name's Maud Casey, and we're gonna make a book and these are gonna be, um, I'm gonna have an exhibition, knock on wood, hopefully at the end of this year. Um, yeah. I purposely didn't show that work. Thank you, thanks for coming.